Hi, I'm Ali Maldro, the host of A Public Affair on Tuesdays. You can listen to this show any day of the week, any hour of the day on the WORT smartphone app or on WORTFM.org. If you love what you hear, click that donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Good afternoon, Madison. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. And today we are on the air with Dr. Brian Williams about his new book, The Bodies Keep Coming, Dispatches from a Black Trauma Surgeon on Racism, Violence, and How We Heal. Brian H. Williams is an Air Force Academy graduate, a Harvard-trained surgeon, a former Congressional Health Policy Advisor, a nationally recognized leader at the intersection of public policy and structural racism, gun violence, and health equity. He has treated gun violence victims for more than two decades two decades. Williams has served as a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Health Policy Fellow at the National Academy of Medicine and as a professor of trauma and acute care surgeon at the University of Chicago School of Medicine. He is the host of the podcast Race, Violence, and Medicine. Welcome to the show, Dr. Brian Williams. How are you today? Ali, thank you for having me, and I'm honored to be on the show today, so I appreciate the time to talk today. No, it was such a gift to get to read your book. Um, You write with such confidence, and this book kind of moves you forward and rips you into your world um, from the first pages. You know, it opens with you having one of the most difficult conversations I could possibly imagine. I'm a a parent of, of three little girls, and this book opens with you telling a mother that her her child was lost to gun violence. What was it like for you to write about something that I think most people can't imagine? Most people can't imagine trying to save somebody's kid's life um, and then being the person to go out and tell them that that all that effort didn't work. Uh, I was really determined to write in a way that could pull you into the story, Ali. Like if I could hook that part of your soul, which is our shared humanity, pull you into the story and let you see what it's like to be on the front lines of gun violence, but also then go on this journey where we can explore some of the bigger issues of the day. Uh, so the first thing was like, how do I how do I grab you and pull you into a world that you may know nothing about beyond the superficial things you may have seen in, in, on the news. And uh, I was hope, I'd hope that as a reader, you can identify with someone in that scene, whether it's me as the doctor, uh, the mother who has lost her child or the victim. Uh, and if you gotta get you to uh, hook into that part of the story, then I know I've, I've got you at that point. So like now let's go on this journey and talk about some of the bigger issues of our time. Dr. Williams, what I am hearing from that answer is that you wanted us to be in tears three pages into this book. Like you wanted, you went, you went straight for for the heart, um, right, right from the beginning. And it it becomes really easy in this book to have a tremendous amount of respect for you as a surgeon, um, but also as a person. Why why was it important for you to? embed so much of yourself and who you are into this story about the the impact of of gun violence. Um, You go into your background growing up, you go into, you know, this team of kids that did not stand up for you when you were discriminated against. Um, You go you go into some really um, detailed origin stories of how you found yourself in front of these patients. Why was that important to you as you as you wrote the book? I, I really believe that storytelling is what that helps breed connections between s- strangers. So as I wrote the book, it was rooted in memoir, personal, a lot of storytelling, but I also wanted to teach along the way without it sounding like a lecture 
right? If I could pull you into the story and you're going along this journey with me, because uh, the story, it's not about me. It's about what I've learned after going through all these events. And then, you know, I have kind of, uh, it's supposed meant to be hopeful in the end, a roadmap towards healing. So I put myself out there so you could have someone's eyes. You can see this, this story through. But in the end, it's about what I can teach you from my experience, personal experience, but also my experience as a trauma surgeon. Uh, you know, I'm also an academic, you know, professor. So what I've learned through research and put that all in there, interwoven into the storytelling. So the story carries you from the way you're learning. And at the end, it's okay. Now, a hope that you see the world differently at the end of the book and you go out and do something differently the day after you finish reading the book. This book, you know, brings you to some really challenging and profound moments, not just in your own life, but in the the reality of where we are as a society in this current moment. And I want to get into that really intensively, but I have to remind the folks who are listening that you are listening to WORT 89.9 FM. This is a public affair. I'm your host, Ali Maldro. We're trying to get five people to call and give today to make sure that WORT is around for a very, very long time. Of course, I want to dive back in to this conversation about this amazing book, but I've got Amy in the studio and, and we, we need somebody to call and, you know, keep this conversation going for us. So Amy, you want to tell folks how they, how they can give, why they should give, why we love WORT? Thank you so much. And I just want to make sure everybody out there can uh, give us a call and support the station and make sure to keep these kinds of informative news segments going. I don't know about you, but I cannot wait to be learning more from Dr. Williams. I feel very blessed to be here today and learn about all of the experiences that he is sharing. So give us a call 256 2001 and join WORT in making sure these kinds of stories come into your ears and are a part of your community. We know how much you value this. And we also know that these kinds of stories aren't exactly being centered in every media outlet out there. But here at WORT, we are making sure to cover things that are important to you. So help us out and make sure that the station remains healthy and thriving and can reach everyone that we want to reach the full community. Call in now 256-2001 or pledge online wortfm.org. Thank you so much, Amy. And huge shout out to Nate and Jade who are making this show possible today, our engineer and our producer. Um, huge shout out to Shally Pittman who just got, I know I said that she got married a while ago, but she also just got married like again. So she's been getting married frequently and I'm here for all of it. Um, give us a call. It's 608-256-2001. Help us keep the lights on at WORT. Help us continue to have really important conversations like the one we're having today and join our book club, man. So I felt really bad loving this book as much as I loved this book and thinking about talking to you about it because in some ways it felt like saying like these really kind of horrible things that you've had to witness um, are incredibly interesting. And the only way I would ever be able to stomach or experience them is by reading, um, is, is by reading about them. I cannot, I could not do the work you do. And I think so many people who would read this book would have walk away from it with so much admiration for what it takes to face the things you face day after day, um, courageously and with a great deal of responsibility. Talk a, a little bit about what it felt like to relive some of these moments in, in writing about them and, and how, how do you heal? The book is, you know, has how we heal in the title. How do you heal um, from the trauma of watching young person after young person die you know, in front of you as you, as you try to help them. It, it was, writing the book was emotionally challenging. I had to put myself back into situations uh, that required me to really immerse myself back in that time in order to bring out the emotion uh, needed to go into the words on the page to bring you as a reader into the story. Now, I will say no one forced me into this specialty. Uh, and I tell people that trauma surgery chose me. I didn't choose it. I, 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 
I was grabbed by this specialty during my medical school years on my first rotation on trauma. I just, the fast paced thinking, the adrenaline rush, knowing that this team of doctors and nurses and therapists could come together and just go all out to save patients that were near death, uh, that really uh, drew me in. And I knew I said, I knew I want to be a trauma surgeon because of that. But you're right. You know, we in this profession, this specialty, we make a living off of repeated tragedies uh, uh, of strangers. I mean, none of us ex wakes up today and expects to be in a life-threatening car accident or to suffer a gunshot wound or some workplace accident, but it happens every day. So I do feel privileged to be well-trained and able to do something during that time and be together with families in the, in the aftermath. Uh, but, you know, over a couple of decades of doing this, it's, it does, it does weigh on me. Right. And I feel if I ever lost touch of that part where I didn't care about the patients or the families, then it's probably time for me to find another line of work. And I still do care. And I, I try to put that into the writing so that you could feel that as well. No, I felt that you cared so deeply that I was like, I would definitely, I would be so lucky to end up on your table. Like if I do get into a car accident, I really want my doctor to be like you. Um, and, and that was, that was uh, an interesting, it was an interesting thing to watch um, or to read this book. And it does feel like I told you before we started that I've never wanted a book to be a movie more than this book, because it you feel it's so vivid. Some of what you remember and the way you talk about these experiences is so incredibly vivid. Um, you you hone in on kind of your own place in, in history, your own uh, claim to fame in some ways, being that you were were the the person present when the, I want to say the second most police officers in the history of the United States um, were murdered, and and you were the 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 surgeon that was tasked with trying to save them as they came into your emergency room one after the other. Um, you talk about that, and then you you talk about processing that specific experience in therapy. Uh, I thought that that was one of the most interesting parts of the book because uh, you go from being the doctor to being the the patient, and it's incredibly vulnerable and and heartbreaking um, to to see how devastated you are by by that loss. The your therapist asks why why did those deaths impact you differently than all the others? I want to ask you the same question here on WORT. Well, you know, that was the second largest loss of life for law enforcement since 9-11. Uh, and why, I, I felt as, like a failure to these police officers that came in and to their families. Rational or not, that's how I felt. And this um, shooting was different than many of the other ones we, we frequently see on television because the victims were police officers. This happened at a peaceful protest for racial justice in the days after Alton Sterling and Philando Castile were, were shot and killed. This was a month after the mass shooting at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. Uh, this was the summer of the presidential election between uh, Clinton and Trump. There were a number of other shootings that year. So this 2016 was this year where it just seemed tragedy after tragedy uh, continue to happen. And there was this mix of racism and gun violence and policing that were intertwined into this particular event. And this was my night off, actually. I was not supposed to work that night, but my partner asked for a schedule change and I took the shift in his place. And I'm the <laughs> only black trauma surgeon in the entire group, right? So I, I was there in the midst of all this and so all those things were happening. I was thinking about my place in society during that time. The shooting happened. That's why I had some difficulty processing those deaths uh, compared to others. But I just want to be clear: any death due to gun violence, or you know, an un any unintentional, unplanned death, is too many. So I don't want to minimize the other deaths I've I've dealt with. But that one certainly impacted me in a way that, um, you know, I went to therapy to process it. 
Did you feel like that was that was something that changed your life in part because of the the response and attention you got related to to those officers? Um, you 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 became um, a public figure in in that moment, and you became linked to the deaths of those officers. Um, you know, in in the in the conscious of our our community long term. What what has that been like? What was the initial kind of shock of of realizing that that people were going to associate you and a talk and talk about you um, in relationship to these these officers being killed? Well, the shooting happened on July seventh, and nobody other than the people I worked with would have known I was involved in that shooting until the press conference that happened four days later. And when I was initially, you know, you see these mass shootings, they have a press conference. They talk about the hospital response and we had one as well. And when I was asked to attend, I initially said, no, I don't want to be there in front of cameras and microphones reliving this event. Uh, is this the initial days of the trauma for me? I was really just, it was on a constant loop. It was a, it was the big news story. So when they turn on the TV or the radio, they're talking about this. So I, I shut out, I'd cut off everything as far as uh, media access and was in my own world going to work day after day. And I think people that experience trauma can relate that you can function quite fine day after day doing your job uh, while this is these traumas are processing uh, in your mind. But when the press conference occurred, my, I told my wife, I'm not going, and she's the one that said, you need to just get over yourself and go to that press conference because you've been checked out, but here is the narrative. All black men are evil and violent and deserve to die. Uh, there's you know, the Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter and all lives matter. This was all happening during that time. And she said, people need to see that on this night that there was a black doctor there trying to save these police officers. Because at that by that time we knew that the, the sniper was black and he was there targeting white police officers. So you you take you pick what you want about that event, the gun violence. The, uh, the racism, the policing, uh, the election, there was a hot button issue wrapped in this. And she said, you need to be there so people can see that there was a black doctor there trying to do the right thing. And this is something that comes up in the book over and over again. And and, and it's something I think that is so important to, to talk about is there is this additional weight on your shoulders as one of the very few black surgeons or the only black surgeon in many of the arenas you've you've been a professional in um you have this tremendous responsibility not just for saving people's lives but for representing the entire black community well um and you and that is something that that comes up in in your book over and over again and despite your best best efforts um you go on tv you say you were you were the surgeon who who was there that night and the response you got wasn't just people thanking you the the response you got was people threatening to kill you um what did it feel like to to go out there and and try to represent um somebody who was there to help somebody who tried to to save these officers lives and have people um accuse you of contributing to their deaths it, it was surreal. And I will say initially at the press conference, I didn't plan to speak. I was just going to sit there and represent as a figure on TV, which in and of itself is a statement about race in this country, right? Just being present and saying nothing can make a difference, which I think all of us uh, should appreciate that we can make a difference just by showing up. But as the press conference continued, what was not said really didn't sit well with me. The things we mentioned, about racism and policing and gun violence. And there came to the point where I thought to myself, Brian, you have to say something. But if you do, like there's going to be backlash. I assumed I would be fired because that was not my role that day. Uh, but I thought to myself, you right now have a platform that is inaccessible to so many people right now. And if you cannot speak on behalf of the masses right now, this moment will be lost and may never happen again. Um, and, and I didn't want to dishonor anyone's deaths, right? So all these things were true at the time, right? I wanted to say the police officers, but I do fear police officers. Uh, 
uh, you know, I'm an accomplished doctor, but I still understand that being black makes me, uh, you know, vilified or at risk for certain things. So these are a lot of complex issues going on. But in the end, I was like, you know, we have to come together to address all of this. It doesn't have to be either or. We can hold all these truths at the same time and move forward. And the reaction, as you mentioned, was immediate. <laughs> uh, let me be clear, most of what I received was very supportive and eye-opening to many, but I do remember the, the negative things, right? Uh, people telling me that I should never be allowed to take care of white people or police officers. I had black people telling me they were glad I let the police officers die. Uh, the, the death threats, and it was, it was just surreal. And I was in a fog at the time, so processing all that um, was complicated. And I'm thinking, was I said what I said? Was it that bad? What I said? I'm here myself. Could it have been that bad? And apparently, to some, it was. I I don't know if it's what you said was that bad, or if people are that angry. If people are that. Um, willing to to see the worst in one another which i think is i would imagine you know you talk about kind of your your the safety measures of your household right you go through like you know these are these are the things that because i see what happens when you ride a bicycle without a helmet you know in my house you wear the helmet you know um I, I I think about like how easy it might be for you to see the worst in people, see what people do to each other recklessly and carelessly on a regular basis, um, and 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 struggle to to find good in in people. Let's let's talk a little bit about gun violence. What is your stance on guns? Guns come up in this book uh, a lot, and it does not seem like you are in favor of their mass distribution. Um, what what do you hope we we do about gun violence? Well, I'll, I'll clarify, I don't I do not see the worst in people, but I do see danger everywhere. Like crossing the street is a life threatening act. Um, America's funniest videos aren't that funny to me because when I see the pratfalls, I think about what happened after the fact. So the traumas hurt to me sees uh, dismemberment and danger everywhere. Yes, you are taking the fun out of some stuff. Sorry, I'm sorry. This is just weird. And my, my wife and daughter say the same thing. <laughs> That's the hazard of being with a trauma surgeon. Um, but as far as gun violence prevention, I, I, I've had to pronounce too many children dead on arrival due to gun violence. I've told too many mothers and fathers about the deaths of their children. I myself have lost family members to gun violence. Uh, you know, I'm also a military veteran. I've trained on the M16, which is the civilian or the military version of the AR-15. I've trained on uh, handguns as well. So I have a perspective on firearms that comes from many different angles. And my whole focus is that what can we do to reduce preventable death due to access to, to firearms? And we have to recognize that, you know, it's part of the American identity, but there are things that most people in this country agree we can do to reduce death due to suicides, homicides, unintentional shootings between uh, children, intimate partner violence. Um, so I am, a, I am a proponent of doing things that we can do to save lives. Mm. Thank you so much for speaking to that, Brian, or Dr. Dr. Williams. I want to remind folks that it is Pledge Week and you are listening to WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Maldrow. This is a public affair. I'm going to pass the mic to Amy so that Amy can tell you how to give, what you get if you give, why you should give. We're looking for five people to help us keep the lights on at WORT. WORT is kind of like the mom and pop shop of local media. You want to invest in us because we're small, but we're mighty, you know, and we're, we're here to serve this immediate community and the world to the best of our possible, to the best of our ability. Amy, why are you supporting WORT today? Oh, thank you, Ali. We are mighty. We are mighty here at WORT because this is a powerful story. So we need folks to call in now, 608-256-2001 or pledge online 
wortfm.org. So I am just really grateful to be here. I can't wait to read this book. I'm really appreciating listening to the words that are being broadcast all over our community and this message that's being shared, the story that's being heard, and for Dr. Williams being willing to share his experiences. This is a really heart-focused show. And a lot of us get news that's you know, pretty intellectual, really just, just the facts, but we actually are affected by the things that are happening day to day. And you know WORT is going to bring you that heart focus as well as just the facts. So call us now, 608-256-2001, and support the kinds of news that you're hearing and the kinds of stories you're hearing here on WORT. We are looking for five callers. We know that can be you. Join us here today and keep this station healthy and rolling out the kinds of stories where you're going to hear someone share about their life, about their heart, and about the difficult things. So we thank Dr. Williams, who is telling us about showing up to make a difference, which can be you here as well, being our caller, next caller, 608-256-2001. As we are listening to the story of healing others, Dr. Williams healing himself and bravely helping us all heal as a society. Thank you so much, Amy. Thanks everybody who is listening. The book is The Bodies Keep Coming, Dispatch from a Black Trauma Surgeon on Racism, Violence, and How We Heal. We are joined today by Dr. Brian H. Williams. Um, We were just kind of talking about gun violence and, and, you know, where you stand. Um, And I think it's important to emphasize your military background. You do describe yourself as somebody who stands um, involuntarily for the national anthem. You are uh, a supporter of this country. You've got a tremendous love for the United States of America um, and and the freedom that we all have in the context of the United States of America. And you embrace the complexity of what it means to be an American and be black. I, I think, you know, one of the things that makes the story about the officers you tried to save um, so, so impactful is that one of the myths we're told over and over again is all you need to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. And you sat there and, 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 and tried to save the lives of a lot of good guys who were also armed that day. Um, talk about what what that was like why why was this one person able to ambush multiple officers and rapidly kill them well this this um peaceful protest on july 7 2016 july 6th was the death of philando castile if you recall that was in minnesota he was in a front car pulled over shot within 20 seconds multiple times yes in front of a little girl and his his partner diamond who was then they were then detained for for hours right and she was and she was brought it was on facebook live right his death so um and the day before was alton sterling in baton rouge louisiana who was shot at point blank range as well so there were protests all across the country to raise awareness for racial justice and police shootings of black men the one in dallas also a peaceful protest uh and from what I've learned from the other, you know, the reporting that was done at that, that time was that the officers there were told not to wear the body armor so as not to appear threatening to the, um, the protesters. And there was this one army veteran who was armed to the teeth, trained on these weapons, and he was there with the intent to shoot white police officers. That's why he was there. And that's because we know this because the SWAT negotiator who talked to him for hours you know, he re- he relayed this to him. So that's where that comes from. Um, so he was trained, he was armed. The police officers there did not have their, their body armor. Uh, but, I, was, but, but they did have their guns. No, they did have their, they did, yes, they did, did they have their weapons. They weren't, um, they weren't unarmed, they were armed. Correct, they were, they, were not, they were not unarmed. And we've talked about the complexity of the ease of access to weapons in this country and understand this fundamental you do not just have a gun violence problem in the United States. We have many gun violence problems. And why do I say that? Okay. We have suicide, which is the source of most firearm related deaths in this country are due to suicide. 
intimate partner violence. Uh, the racial disparities there, black women are three times more likely to be shot and killed by a partner than white women. If you're a woman in a domestic abusing relationship, you're five times more likely to be shot and killed by your partner if they have access to a, to a gun. Uh, homicides, which I've dealt with a lot, being working at safety net hospitals and knowing that over 50% of firearm homicides within the next 24 hours will be young black men. Then there are the unintentional shootings that we talk about with children and then mass shootings. So multiple types of gun violence, each with different root causes. So we have to not just use rhetoric and slogans to talk about it, but let's look at the data and the evidence and listen to the experts. And I've worked with people that own firearms, that are NRA members, that also want to reduce firearm-related deaths and injury. So it's not a, a zero-sum game. We can work together to do this. We have to just push through the, uh, uh, the, the, the slogans and the intransigence of certain groups that wants to just make firearms easily accessible to pretty much everyone, anywhere, all the time, because we are all at risk. Yeah, I, I think about, you know, the, 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 the people who want, uh, the people who are interested in guns not being controlled or not being regulated um, seem to be the people who are selling guns. Um, I, I, I'm curious, you know, how how you think we should resolve this issue and and what accountability looks like in terms of the fact that gun violence is a manufactured problem. So you saw the families of the victims of Sandy Hook sue the manufacturer of the gun that killed their children um, and, and win uh, in a pretty unprecedented case up to that point. What what do you think the responsibility is of of our government, of our of our society to address gun violence? What do you think we should do? Um, what do you think the responsibility is of gun manufacturers? Well, I will, you mentioned that I was a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation uh, Health Policy Fellow. So I spent uh, 14 months in Washington working as a congressional health policy advisor. And during that time. I worked in the office of the senator that was the lead on the bipartisan Safer Communities Act. That was the most significant gun safety bill passed in a generation. That was passed in the aftermath of the Uvalde massacre uh, in my state of Texas. That bill, bipartisan in nature, will save thousands of lives. There are you know, background checks, uh, uh, violence intervention program uh, funding, uh, gun trafficking, but there's more to be done. There's more that can be done through federal policy and frankly, state policy to reduce death. Here's a couple of things that have agreement across both parties, across most Americans. Universal background checks is one, okay? Two is raising, that's just kind of a no brainer. Just background checks to purchase a firearm, that's easy. Raise the minimum age to purchase a firearm to 21. And I'll tell you why that's important, okay? Uh, in the age group of 18 to 20, the leading cause of death in that age group is firearms. 18 to 20, they're committing suicide with firearms at a rate 40% higher than they were a decade ago. And that age group also commits firearm homicides at three times the rate of people over the age of 21. So. 21 is sort of a number that most people agree is, yeah, that's reasonable. If you can't buy guns. There is like a two-year window where people are adults but are really, um, yeah, are, are, are really struggling with, with responsibility for firearms. Exactly, exactly. So, and I would say this is a group of people that we don't trust with alcohol. Right. In, in most states across the United States, right? You have to be 21 to, to drink. So, yeah. yeah. And, you know, when I, I trained on these weapons when I was 18 at the Air Force Academy, at the end of the day, these weapons went into secure storage. We didn't take them back to our door room as if they were toys. We understood these to be weapons of war that could cause a lot of damage, and we treated them as such. So that same mentality can be applied, you know, across the board for people who are untrained <laughs> in this country. So like I said, like, these are things that can be done uh, that have 
broad support regardless of your political party and you know between depending on this depending on the actual survey it's 70 80 90 percent of americans agree on these things so if that many americans agree um, and that many Americans have been impacted by gun pl- violence and gun violence is something we can do something about. What is getting in the way of, of us just saying, hey, you got to be 21 years old to have a gun. You've got to go. You've got to have a background check. What's what's keeping us from something we all agree on or the vast majority of people agree on? It continues I don't know how, how political I can get on the, on the, on the show. Oh, here. Very, very political on a public yeah. affair. I mean, you, you have Republicans in elected Republicans who continue to do the bidding of the gun manufacturers, right? And ignore the will of their constituents and most Americans who want to do something uh, about the escalating gun violence. We're already this year have exceeded 500 mass shootings. You know, we're on track for a, a record. One in five Americans have been directly impacted by gun violence. There, uh, many millions want to do something about it, but we continue to have Republicans in elected office that do what the gun manufacturers want, not what their constituents want. Brian, do you think about running for office? Well, I, I'm, I'm actually a current candidate for Congress. <laughs> I've, thought, I've thought about it. And, um, yeah, I've thought about it and I've acted on it. So I've been, I'm a Democratic candidate for office in the congressional district of 32 here in T- Dallas, Texas. Uh, just finished our second quarter uh, as a candidate. Uh, and you can learn more about my candidacy at drbrianwilliamsforcongress.com. But yes, I am currently running for Congress and to end the epidemic of gun violence is the central portion of my platform. But it's also... How do we address the healthcare crisis? We talked about this in the book, right? How uh, we still continue to have healthcare injustice that persists despite the resources and the ingenuity and the and, and the people in this country that want to change that. Uh, but also just as a veteran and as a child of a veteran, I come from a long line of veterans who have served this country. Uh, it's about service before self. How do we go and do something that's bigger than ourselves. So yes, I have these issues that have kind of compelled me to run for office during this time of crisis, but deep down it's this ethos that I've been put on this earth and I can serve the country in Congress with, uh, with integrity and a commitment to what's best for the greater good. How is the campaign trail? What has it been like for you to to get into the political arena? In part because I think so much of your work um, is almost the opposite of catchphrases and slogans, right? There's no there's no uh, easy answers when you're when you're trying to save somebody um, from a bullet that has ripped through their body. Um, there's no there's no catchphrase that's going to console somebody who just lost their kid. And now you're you're in the land of sound bites. And and how how is it to make that transition? I this running for. Congress is a continuation of my record of public service. Uh, I was Air Force Air Force officer, served my country, and at that time I was focusing on being the best officer I could. I transitioned to medicine, served my community as a doctor again during that time, focusing on being the best doctor I could. But you're right, I never thought about going into politics. But as we talk about in the book, that, that shooting and the aftermath when I begin to think about what I'm doing is not changing things. It's always the same. It's, it's a it's your rinse, wash, repeat, and it continues. How do I stop the flow of gun violence victims to the hospital? How do I work to eliminate healthcare injustice so that people can be healthy and thrive in their communities? I cannot do that in the hospital. By the time they get there, it's too late. I have to get outside the hospital and intervene upstream. And now running for Congress, uh, because I've seen what's possible, Ali. You know, I was there for for uh, over a year, had a chance to work on monumental legislation as a doctor uh, working with um, staffers. And some of this you know, stuff's bad. The, the gun safety bill, uh, 
Medicaid, mental health reform, healthcare workforce, a lot of things that as a doctor, I was able to give input that they didn't have. There's only 19 doctors in Congress. There's never been a trauma surgeon in Congress. There's never been a black doctor with voting privileges in Congress. I think it's time for all of that to change, right? If we want to address in healthcare injustice, racial injustice, gun violence, uh, and as a veteran, uh, I just bring myself to the, what you see is what you get. It's not sound bites. It's just, here's what I've seen. Here's what I want to end. I'm running for office. You can either support me or not, but I'm not going to be something I'm not to get into office. Oh man. I, I hope that the reason people are not calling us to donate to WORT right now is because they are busy donating to Dr. Brian Williams campaign, the future of Congress out of Texas. Um, you know, I, I think it's tremendous to think that you want to do more because I, I think, you know, there's another way to think about that story of like, I can't do enough in the hospital. Um, that could be really defeating. I don't know if everybody would kind of face the the traumas and realities that you have and say, I just got to work a little harder at this point. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty um, moving to hear that you want to do more after all that you have done and how deeply invested you've been um, in caring for the people who have shown up in front of you. If you are listening to WORT 89.9 FM, I'm your host, Ali Maldro. This is A Public Affair. And today we're talking about the absolutely excellent book, The Bodies Keep Coming by Dr. Brian H. Williams. It is Pledge Week. We are still hoping to get five people to call, and we've got like a few minutes left. So we have not heard from anybody just yet, but Amy, what what can we give people if they call and give and support WORT? Thank you, Ali. First of all, I am really excited that we've been able to hear from Dr. Williams today, and I know that you guys out there are too, because we get these kinds of stories specifically because of the dedication of our staff and volunteers here at WORT. So thank you to Dr. Williams. And if you would like to express your thanks, please call in now, 608-256-2001, or pledge online, wortfm.org. So Dr. Williams is really uh, giving us an amazing model and example of taking leadership to action leadership to action and we need that from our community as well call in now 608-256-2001 to support the station and keep these kinds of stories and these kinds of examples of amazing leadership giving us all hope in your ears Uh, dr williams has really been sharing amazing uh, examples of his own personal life very intimate stories about his experiences and these are the kinds of stories you're going to hear on WORT. So support us now, wortfm.org, or call in 608-256-2001. We are looking for five callers this hour to support us. We do have some more minutes left. We've got a great uh, new glow-in-the-dark skull theme shirt for us. Um, I know that we've got... Ex- uh, Progressive Magazine subscriptions as well, and several other thank you gifts for our callers and our pledgers. And we also want to thank Just Veggies uh, today for excellent food. They have donated to the station, and you can too, 608-256-2001. We've got a few more minutes left with Dr. Williams uh, sharing today about examples of trauma in all the ways, healing himself, trauma and therapy, and healing our society. And we thank him for jumping in the fray and being a part of the political solutions that we could all benefit from. If I can jump in right now, I will say the the first caller that calls in, I will send you a free signed copy of the book. That is fantastic. The generosity continues. The generosity continues. You you call and you, he did not say any amount. Like usually if it was me, you all know this, I would say, hey, you got to give at least $50. It's a really good book. You're getting a signed copy. He's the future of Congress. But you could call right now and give any amount and you'd be the first caller and you will get a signed copy from the author himself, Dr. Brian Williams, author of the bodies keep coming. That's Can a I good idea. Is, is it too late to say at least donate to the station and get a signed copy? Can I do that without yeah. going back on my word? 
Yeah, absolutely yes. can. Yes. Thank you. So Dr. Williams is donating, and you can too. 608-256-2001 now. I, I am a, a, a huge fan of this book for, for a lot of reasons. And part of the reason I am is because you weren't afraid to make this book political. Um, you, you talk about Shirley Chisholm in this book. You, you name partisan po- politics as part of the problem. Um, you, you were, you were, you know, unapologetic in your willingness to say, not only is this something that is horrific and that the consequences I have faced day in and day out, but it is something that we can do something about. And the fact that you are solution focused um, in the face of tragedy is, I think, one of the most outstanding things about the book and one of the most deeply compelling and inspirational parts of this book. Um, And was surprising in part because of the title of the book. Can you talk to us a little bit about why this book is called The Bodies Keep Coming, Dispatches from a Black Trauma Surgeon on Racism, Violence, and How We Heal. And then The Bodies Keep Coming just comes from, this is reality, is that I cannot think of a time when I was last on call where I did not take care of a gun violence victim or pronounce someone dead. I mean, going back years. So it was saying like the bodies, no matter what, the bodies keep coming. Uh, so the gun violence part, I think, is is easy to understand, but it's also within the healthcare system, right? We keep having this inflow of needless death and suffering due to preventable diseases in a country with so much wealth and resources and ingenuity. And why is that, right? I'm in the hospital in my white coat, and I'm taking care of all this, and I get accolades for this, I get compensated well for this, but am I really making a difference at the systemic level, like how do I change that so that the system does not continue to send bodies, so the bodies uh, uh, do not keep coming. Now I'll admit, when I submitted that title to the publisher, I wasn't sure that they would <laughs> accept it, um, but my my uh, my editor, she's been fantastic from the very beginning and she championed it, and um, that was a title, and it goes well with the uh, the cover design, which they knocked it out of the park. Yeah, no, I mean, I thought when I when I started to read this book, I, I started to worry that this book was going to be about the never ending loop and cycle of gun violence. Um, and and, you know, <laughs> yes. Um, and, and I was so deeply grateful for the fact that you stay uh, vigilantly motivated to make things better. Um, because I I was, you know, I'm like a few pages in, and I'm like, really, I'm waiting for you to retire. I'm waiting for you to get to Jamaica. I'm like, when does he, when does Dr. Williams get a break? When does he get his groove back? Like, when does this become about, about him and his wife kicking it after this career? Because um, I just felt like you deserved that so deeply. I want to thank you, Dr. Brian Williams, because we have our first donor. Thanks, Steve. Nice. Excellent. For you to send this book to. Thank you for keeping the lights on today at WORT 89.9 FM. My last question for you today, Dr. Williams, um, is, you know, what keeps you hopeful? What has allowed for you um, to continue to want to serve, to continue to believe that you can make a difference uh, in a world as challenging as ours? And that's one thing I wanted to leave with people, the readers with the book, is that it is intended to be hopeful and a roadmap towards healing. After going through all that heavy stuff, if you get to the end, there is the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm inspired by the people around me that are working behind the scenes to make the world a better place. The people I work with in the hospital that go to work every day, the folks I had a chance to work with in Washington, whom we don't see that are this there doing the work because they want to help people, but they're not getting the TV cameras and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. They're just there to doing the work, but also I just feel compelled to do what I can to leave the world in a better spot for my daughter so that when she's an adult, she inherits something um, that she, where she can thrive and be happy and, and, and just grow. So uh, I think this is this part of the ethos I've learned from my parents and watching my father put on his uniform every day when he was in the Air Force. And uh, it's just, we have to keep, we have to keep pushing. We have to keep pushing. 
Oh man, we we certainly do. And we are so lucky to have you, Dr. Brian Williams, soon to be Congressman Brian Williams. Thank you for joining us today on WORT 89.9 FM. Thank you for helping us ask folks to give. You still have time to give y'all. The number is 608-256. I'm sorry, I lost it. 608 608- <laughs> Two five six two zero zero one. Amy, do you want to remind people one last time how to give, um, especially because I'm struggling <laughs> with what our phone number is? Absolutely. And I mean, of course, you've been so moved by this amazing, amazing conversation that you get to hear every day on a public affair. So uh, call in now, 608-256-2001, or pledge online, wortfm.org. And we have some pledgers to thank. So join these fine folks. We have Anonymous to thank, and we also have Benjamin to thank. So I am really excited uh, that we have pledgers. We've got a little bit more time for you to call in as well and join Anonymous and Benjamin in their generosity to the station. 256 2001 wortfm.org Dr. Brian Williams before we let you go how can people follow your campaign how can people learn more about your book um, how do how do we how do we keep our eye on on what's next for you So for the uh, congressional campaign Dr. Brian Williams for congress.com uh, all the news is there sign up for the newsletter stay up to date on what's happening and as far as the personal stuff, for the book, go to brianwilliamsmd.com. Brian is spelled the correct way with an I. <laughs> but those are those are the those are the two uh, two uh, places to keep follow uh, follow me. Dr. Brian Williams for Congress.com and brianwilliamsmd.com. I also just want to remind folks to check out your podcast. How how do people connect with the podcast, Dr. Brian Williams? Uh, the, the podcast is called Race, Violence, and Medicine. It, it's available everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Just if you Google that, you can find it. But if you go to my personal website, there's a link there as well. Caveat, I have not recorded an episode since before I did my uh, fellowship in Washington because there were rules about being a public figure during that time. Uh, okay. But many of those episodes are evergreen. <laughs> uh, so uh, take a look at them or, or take a listen and let me know what you think. Always reach out. Dr. Brian Williams, I cannot thank you enough for all that you do. Thank you for staying busy. Thank you for saving people's lives. Um, Thank you for for running for office. Um, And thank you for joining us on WORT 89.9 FM. I'm your host, Ali Muldrow. This is a public affair. Make sure you check out the book, The Bodies Keep Coming by Dr. Brian H. Williams. And I'll see y'all next week. Thank you to everybody who gave. Six above.